Welcome to episode two of the All Hustle podcast. I'm your host, Bowen, and I'm joined, as always, by Daniel, Abdul, and Marco. We just got done watching episodes five and six to The Last Dance, and I have to say now we're kind of getting into more of the Jordan stuff. You know, we touched a little bit earlier on Dennis Rodman, Scotty Pippen, Phil Jackson. I think these two episodes really went in-depth about Jordan and his runs, especially his uh, 1992 title against the Blazers and the 93 one against the Suns, and of course, all throughout the backdrop of the 98 title run. So I'm going to jump to Abdul first. Uh, what are your, you know, first couple of things that pop up to you when you're watching these two episodes? All right. So first thing I want to say is like, I love how like how much it highlights like Jordan as like a cultural figure. Um, as great as he was on the basketball court, I feel like his impact, like, from a cultural standpoint, was just so much bigger than the player he was. Like, when it comes to, like, the shoe market and how everybody views sneakers now, like, how much Nike really took off, like, having him on their side. Um, the idea of players having their own shoe line, um, having all these, endor- like, God knows how many endorsements that he had. Um, the idea of an, like having that image and like trying to maintain it, and then also on his part, like the scrutiny side of it, like when it came when the gambling stuff came up and all the scrutiny that he faced and everything, like there's so much things that we scrutinize now because of the social media era and how much like people are able to record things everywhere they go now. That like as I was watching it, I was thinking of. I was, like, watching as I was thinking about it, like, how would it be today? You know what I mean? And, like, just comparing the two. Because, like, it was such a different time. And, like, I can't imagine how players back then would have managed now. Because, like, we see the players now and it's kind of, like, it's our norm. You know what I mean? And, like, we expect them to, like, suck it up and everything and whatnot. But, like, to see Jordan, like, just be completely tired of the media. Obviously, he's not the first player to be tired of the media, but, like, to just be tired and be like, and then you hear Magic saying, like, you guys are going to drive him out of the game and all that type of stuff. Like, it was so interesting for me because, like, you look at, like, I'm not trying to, like, create, like, comparisons, but, like, even in regards to, I'm going to stray from LeBron. We'll say Durant. Okay. Um, yeah. Like, Durant is a really scrutinized athlete. Like, probably aside from LeBron, he might be the most scrutinized guy for any decision he's made, like, on the court. And, like, He's so different from, like, he's pretty different, but also open, like, open to people as far as, like, the way he is and who he truly is, in a sense, that, like, he gets scrutinized for being a certain way. And I was, like, trying to think of it, like, you know, imagine if Michael was in, like, today's day and age. Like, you want to talk about, like, being driven out and whatnot? Like, not saying the media drove him out, but, like, just, like, the attention and everything. Like, of course, he got so much attention, but, like, the level of it is just so much higher now because it's not just the media that watches you. It's people who are able to watch you and record you and post what you're doing. And it's so much easier to spread rumors and everything. Like from that standpoint, it was just really interesting for me. It would have been interesting to have like if Michael Jordan had Twitter back in the day. Right. And if he was like growing up in this age with Twitter, could he have crafted his narrative around that gambling in a different way? Because back then he had only like his one, the Ahmad Rashad, that NBC Sports reporter, that seemed to be his like 
main reporter. That yeah. he could relate to. Like they were in the car together, smoking cigars, having a good time. And like that's what those athletes back in the day needed because you had hundreds of other ones writing whatever they could get from their his sound bites every day. And it absolutely must have been draining. So yeah, I think I think Twitter would have been beneficial for him back in the day. But it also could have opened up more, you know, more can of worms when he was out gambling and the media didn't catch it. But if there's Twitter, you could just hear something and, oh, he was actually out in Atlantic City two straight nights and not just the one night. Yeah. And, and then reports about that. Might have had one thing. So, actually, one and a half. Kind of like going on that, like, especially like in regards to the gambling, like the fact that he was scrutinized so much for doing it when it wasn't like an illegal thing that he was up to. Like, he wasn't getting in trouble with the law or anything. It's kind of, like, the way people view certain things was also interesting to me. Because, like, athletes nowadays don't gamble and whatnot. And it's, like, the thing similar to what Jordan did. As far as, like, the change of times and whatnot, and, like, the things that athletes are now more careful of people being able to see, like, because of things like that, like, that have happened to guys in the past, such as Jordan, was also interesting. And then... Last one I felt was important was like the sh- social justice aspect. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, you see, like a lot of guys now, like they're rolling towards like being able to like take a stand for what they believe in and like trying to stand for what's right and all that type of stuff. And like they're not as worried about their image, but at the same time, they know that their image is more protected in the sense that like easier for them to do it in today's world than it was then. Obviously, like. For Jordan, like, in the 90s, just to a worse extent as far as, like, the way things were seen and, like, how it could really test the public as far as, like, their view of him. And also the idea of, like, not, like, every athlete not being able to be an activist was also something that intrigued me because, obviously, the guys today aren't the first guys to be doing stuff like that. But then Jordan's also not the first guy to not be taking a full-out stand for, like, his people and so to say. So, yeah. Yeah, this part really struck out to me because I think Jordan allowed this doc for us to see uh, the last glamorous part of the championships of the titles. And uh, and uh, that's a very interesting conversation until today. Athletes do not have to take stands if they don't feel like it. You know, if they just want to play, that's good. Uh, obviously, when a guy like LeBron does, which is the first guy that comes to mind, I think it's better, you know, for his image, for everything, for what he represents. But we have to be reminded that these guys are paid to play basketball if they, that's what they want to do fine with that yeah i think you know there's there's kind of an expectation for athletes but especially black athletes to come out like and use their platform in support of things like civil rights and you know jordan said you know i didn't see myself you know he he thought what ali did was great obviously but he didn't see himself as an activist on himself as as a ball player but yeah, like comparing to LeBron, I mean, LeBron, when you know when his last dance comes out in thirty years, <laughs> instead of having this part where he's quoted saying, "Republicans sell sneakers too," or buy sneakers too, sorry, it'll be like, "Look, LeBron opened a school, and he, and they'd show like his more than an athlete thing," you know. So it's it is interesting. Like Michael not standing up kind of reminded me of OJ in a in a weird way because 
it's like this commercial superstar loved by white people um and he refused to stand for something political you know like oj was asked to join like ali bill russell and kareem and and fighting for civil rights and he didn't do that so it's kind of i don't think it's like something that should be held against jordan but it's something that should be pointed out because he you know he failed to be the athlete that transcended sports in that way oh 100 percent like for lebron like he's really like he's championed for that a lot um especially like for being able to like help his community and everything i know there may be people who think like he does it for cameras or whatnot or whatever but like there's always people who say that type of stuff but at the same time like you have to consider like people of that like on that type of a pedestal don't get to do anything off camera <laughs> like they just don't get that chance especially in today's day and age like if lebron does something like everybody knows about it you know what i mean yeah like when LeBron, people know when lebron comes to toronto for caravan a weekend like <laughs> there's no running from the cameras or like people knowing about certain things and like you're definitely right as far as like that idea of like being transcendent because that's something that like really pushed Ali in his career too as far as like him having to like get his way out of prison and then coming back to be a champion it was kind of like that rise fall like concept of a story that like people just adore hearing about you know and people hated him at the time for it but yeah over time like you know now it's you know this that there's that one quote like Ali is going to be remembered forever. Jordan might not be, which I don't think is true, obviously. Yeah, it was, but it's yeah. it's still interesting. Like Ali will be remembered for more than for he's he's more remembered for his activism than he is for his boxing. You know, especially like even if you go into Ali record, there are guys with better records in boxing. You know, but the but Ali is considered the greatest because of why he he was uh, outside of the ring. Yeah. yeah. Jordan's like significance is like globally they said he had an impact on the dream team because you know other countries could watch him play and all that and then I think his shoes is honestly the biggest thing he's going to be remembered for in a way in like 30-40 years because I think Jordans are going to still exist I mean yeah Yeah, 100% massive but yeah like when you're comparing like if you want to compare two boxers the first thing you're going to come up with the league yes but this is what he did outside of the ring blah 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 and when you're comparing Jordan, it's just it, it is kind of just strictly basketball talk, and it's nothing like, well, he supported Harvey Gantz, and he got the first African American senator like elected, right? But that didn't happen because he was just strictly basketball, and I don't think there's a problem with that. But um, that guy who said, I, yeah, the name escapes escapes me. The guy who said that uh, Jordan won't be remembered in 30 years. I mean, I I don't buy that. Well, He'll be it was easier, but for different things. It was easier for him to be able to say that in the early 90s compared to now. Yeah. But, like, in terms of Jordan, um, it's more so, like, he was this guy who became a hero. It's like, will he take a stand for us, in a sense? Like, you always... Like, it's easier now to be able to say, I wish he would do it, but I don't expect it of him because there, so, there are more people who do it. But there wasn't as many at the time. So, I guess like that also plays a factor as far as like the criticism because he became so much bigger than people thought an athlete could be 
like globally. And he was huge in the black community, as we saw with like the Spike Lee stuff and that that scene from Do the Right Thing. Um, and then he he didn't speak out, which, and you know, I I can see it probably was disappointing for a lot of the you know black community at the time. Um, but it's it's totally fair, and he said, you know, I don't feel comfortable coming out against something uh, about something I don't really know about. That's the thing, right? He he said I I don't really know, but what I I would have been endorsing something that I wasn't like informed on, mm-hmm. which like you could say is irresponsible, right? So I I thought that was a fair argument. I, but I, I think what's the most yeah. amazing is that uh, he lets those things get into the documentary. You know, he could just say, "Well, don't put that because it's gonna make me feel make me look not that good." Whatever, just put it in. You know. His mindset for things is kind of riveting. Like, you can love me or you don't. And if you don't, you're like, like what Jay-Z says, either love me or leave me alone. And Michael kind of embodies that. Yeah, I mean, he said at the start that it's going to make me look bad, but it hasn't really made Michael look bad at all yet because yeah. every question that pops up is going to go back to Michael Jordan. And the question is going to be posed to him. So he's going to have a response to everything this documentary brings up. Which, with other people, you know, like Jerry Krause, unfortunately, he passed away. So you're not going to hear his side of things. I mean, in the ideal world, you'd have every single person kind of respond and craft the true story. But it, yeah. is, it is nice that they bring up, you know, these kind of interesting issues. The biggest, the one interesting one was uh, Horace Grant. And Michael's like, no, yeah. Horace leaked that all to the media. And Horace is like, what are you guys saying? Like, I didn't do that at all. <laughs> There's always, like, that, like, tug-of-war type game as far as, like, who said what. Like, we see it so much even now because, like, everything is sources said, but nobody knows who the sources are. And, like, so many people are like, who's this source? Who's that source? Like, who's telling me this? Who's telling me that? And I don't even think, like, people will ever be able to figure those things out because no one wants to be like known to be the person who actually leaked information. You know what I mean? D'Angelo. Wait, what? (laughs) D'Angelo Russell. (laughs) (laughs) But, uh, Uh, I mean, I found that was, that was weird too. Like Horace Grant denies it. They blame it on him. But it doesn't really seem like it affected team chemistry. At least they didn't really touch on that. It's like, yeah, it was Horace. But it's like, you know, then we still got on the court and played team basketball in one games and everything was fine. I thought that was weird. Yeah, it's like just a way to just drum up a little bit of controversy and then you look at their record and you're like, oh, wait, what? No, yeah. like, this wasn't as bad as you're making it look out to. Like, even in terms of, like, um, B.J. Armstrong's, like, the stand he kind of took, he was like, you know, it wasn't just Horace. Like, it could have been front office, it could have been ownership, it could have been coaches, it could have been this. And he kind of just, like, spread all the blame out to, like, anybody who possibly said something in the organization. Kind of shows, like, how much can really go into, like, certain things being started. Just because, like, you never actually know. Like, these guys spend so much time with each other. And, like, they still aren't able to tell who said what. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's true. That's interesting. 
But still, like as we, as you guys were saying, it's funny because this last episode made the 1998 season seem like a very troubled one for Chicago, but it ended up winning like 62 games. So even without the scrutiny, they were pretty good still, you know. And I think that's a very good job on the documentary actually, because it feels like the the task of winning the sixth championship is super high, and maybe it was not that much. They were still the best team in the league, you know. I mean. Like, it's hard to, like, sustain, like, that level. Because, like... Yeah, of course, shows, of course. Like, I can see... I can see your point, And, I can, like, I can see both sides of it. Like, in terms of, like, how they made it look difficult. But then... Or it seemed... Like, it was difficult at first. But then how quickly they were able to turn it around. But at the same time, that's, like, a mark of a great team. Kind of, like, turning it on when you really need it to be on. And, like, they did just that, like, every step of the way. And, like, the idea of, like, re like three-peating for a second time and, like, kind of, like, with all the cliffhangers and everything to it, even though we know the result of it all, it's kind of, like, that was really cool to be able to see because you kind of, like, feel like you're almost a part of it, even for those of us who didn't actually get to witness it. And they never had a Game 7 in the finals. But yeah. every time the game up, it's like, oh, are they going to lose? I'm like, wait, no, I know they're going to win. But, you know, it makes it sound like, <laughs> a possibility Jordan might actually lose this one, right? Yeah. Talking about that, guys, who do you, why do you think it was the best team that they faced in those first three championships? In the Lakers, the Suns, or the Blazers? The Suns. Yeah. That Suns team was ridiculous. And I know a lot of, like, I know Charles Barkley is, like, this ridiculous TV personality and all that people, like, that's how people view him to be. But, like, I think people forget like how great of a player Charles Barkley really was, because <laughs> like how skinny he, was, he was too. He was surprisingly skinny. <laughs> like, I think his listing is at like six six two fifty, and like, like man, like he could play. Like he has career averages of twenty two and eleven, which is not easy by any means. There are a lot of Hall of Famers who are below twenty points a game for their careers, and like. For them to be able to show, like, he was league MVP, like, how good the Suns were. Like, they had the best record in the league that year, too. And also, like, his insight as to, like, this was another thing. Like, him saying, like, I felt like I was the best player in the league until Jordan outplayed me, like, in parts of the finals. Mm -hmm. And I was, like, because a lot of people get it twisted as if, like, Jordan was, like, the one guy. And I'm, like... No, like, he wasn't the only one. Like, there are a lot of Hall of Famers who came out of that time and that had to face Jordan in the finals, too. And, like, Barkley's one of them. And, like, if he if it wasn't for the fact that he didn't win a ring, like, he's still a top-five power forward, in my opinion, ever. Like, he's literally one of the greatest players ever. But yeah. people it, overlook it, everybody because Jordan won 6 out of 10 in those yeah, years. And he didn't exactly even play like two of them. A funny exercise, like, erase Jordan from the 90s, and that's maybe the best decade in history because you have no dominance from any other team, you know? You'd have, like, a lot of guys winning one, two championships and sharing every year. Uh, but Jordan happened, and he was so much better than everyone else. It's, it's not the other guy's fault. They were all still really good, you know? Because, for example, let's use LeBron again. Why if Dirk doesn't beat LeBron in 2011? How would we remember Dirk? Would yeah, it's, place? it's a similar thing, for sure. Yeah. Like, Barkley, I think people, like, when people will look at, you know, all-time greats, people aren't going to aren't gonna hang, like, the no ring on Barkley's head too much. 
you know, it's an understanding that Jordan was just that dominant. And like Barkley, Barkley was an incredible player. One one thing they they didn't they kind of glanced over was Barkley's role on the dream team. He led he led the tournament in points. Wow. Yeah. It wasn't Jordan. So like and he was like a, a a star after that, like arguably, I mean, uh, not more than Jordan, but like he really, it was his coming out party. Um, From a global yeah. sense, yeah. And yeah, like, it was a good, it was a good Suns team too. Like Kevin Johnson was a really good player. Dan Marley was good. Um, but yeah, they were like, they would have, like that LA, LA team was probably the worst team the Bulls faced just because it was an aging kind of magic team and, there wasn't really much else to it. I'm pretty sure. Sorry? They were dealing with injuries too, that like going into the finals. So it was like Yeah. And like the eighties of the eighties Lakers are like I know Magic was like star of the show, but like Kareem was there too, which is a huge factor. Like there's no Kareem in those nine one finals either. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah, and that Blazers team, I mean I've kind of always overlooked Clyde Drexler as a, like, I understood he was a good player, and I was looking back in his stats, and I'm like, okay, yeah, like, he would put up 25, you know, every game, basically. Yeah. But he got, you know, thoroughly outpaid by Jordan, and then he won a ring, but he's he teamed up with Hakeem to win, to win a ring. Yeah. yeah. I and think like, it's funny that he was compared to Jordan. Yeah, well, they had no way that was earned. In that season, like 1993, he had 19 points a game. Jordan had over 30, you know. It was not a comparison. No, it was not a fair comparison to Jordan. Wasn't it well, the that year was Clyde. No, that, that was, was the year Clyde before. Him. That was a year after. 93 was a year after. So he, that's like... 92. But yeah, 92. Sorry. That's true. My bad. But like, there, that goes to show like Jordan just crushed his spirit and he put up 19 again <laughs> the next year. It was, I think it was up. easier also to do that because like Clyde came into the league a year before Jordan did so it wasn't like they were far apart as far as like agent experience and like the two guard position has never been like one where like there's like 10 guys who are like you may like lay claim to being like like all-star caliber or all-stars or all NBA players like it's always been a position where like decade by decade there's only like those couple guys at most so, like, I could see why, like, they were compared, in a sense. Because, right. like... We can see it now. Who mm-hmm. do we have today? Which two guards we have, like, they are really good. They have James Harden, which could be also a point guard. That's where he plays Harden, yeah. And uh, Clay Thompson, Clay Thompson. is definitely another level. But, like, Booker is always coming, but he cannot translate that to wins. Bradley Bill, the same thing. The two-guard position is kind of hard to play. Well, I No, it was- is. And it was funny, too, like, when Clyde, they passed on Jordan because, oh, because we had a really good rookie named Clyde Drexler, but he had seven points a game that year. And I'm like, even if you had a good rookie, why don't you pair them together? Maybe it was just the fact that big men were, like, so dominant that, you know, GMs didn't think of, like, having two guards will actually make my team good. Yeah, that's, that's like, I mean, that shows the times, I guess. It's like, oh, we already have a two-guard. Why, why would we draft another guard? Yeah, and then the Cavs go around and draft two point guards that are kind of like, eh. But they try for, like, the best prospect available. 
like I could kind of like I could kind of see it, I guess, because like Jordan was a star coming out of college, but like as you guys said, they did value bigs a lot more, and like even in today's game, you know, like I feel like even though there aren't like many dominant bigs, like it's still kind of like a premium in a sense to where like if there was like an elite level prospect that was a center, like we saw in the draft that um. Doncic and Trey Young came out of a couple of years ago. Like DeAndre Ayton and Marvin Bagley went one and two. Um, Great decisions. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, actually, they you actually, could yeah. compare it. Like, the Suns passed upon being able to get Doncic to pair him with Booker to pair Booker with Ayton instead. And while Ayton's a good player, Doncic is on a different level, right? Yeah. Even with Doncic's coach from the national team. Yep. Which is just, yeah. The idea still carries forward as far as like that, like needing that one big. Like even though it may not be as prominent as it used to be, it's kind of like if I can get this dominant big, he could change everything for me. And most of the busts are kind of bigs too, you know. You're obsessed with size, so then you take a team to beat a Greg Odin, and then they and then and, they become a bust. Yeah. Yeah, that's a big one. And you don't see that as often with guards. Yeah, like Portland passed up on KD to get Greg Oden. And what like yeah. I'm not knocking Greg Oden because he had so many injuries, but like Kevin Durant is Kevin Durant, so Well they had Brandon Roy and they're like, Oh, we need a big to pair with him. Yeah. Right. It's the same The thing. logic right. still carries on thirty, forty, fifty years later. Like it like I don't think it'll ever change in that sense. There was a very funny story about KD in the draft combine where he he was the only guy who couldn't lift. I don't know how how many pounds was that. Yeah, and he was the only one guy who, who couldn't lift, and the guys were, were laughing on him on that. That's that's crazy. Yeah, clearly it matters. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and um, so going back to I read part of that Sam Smith book, The Jordan Rules from '93, and it was like quite explosive but just in the way he written it it was a lot of like not facts but he would I guess just do a lot of wondering and questioning within the book that definitely opened up a lot of um, opportunities for you know clickbaity type of stuff that come up, comes out of it and I don't know if we see that now as much anymore having you know like but obviously books I don't think have the same impact as they do back in the 90s I think, like, the reason for that is because, like, we're all able to, like, research for ourselves with, like, the snap of a finger because we all have our phones with data and internet everywhere we go. And, like, if somebody's wrong, then there's at least somebody out there who could figure out the actual truth. Whereas, like, back then, like, it was so difficult because, like, you actually relied on newspapers to be able to have that accurate information and there was nowhere else you could really go to because you can't, it's not like you could read the newspaper and be like, hmm, let me figure this one out myself and then, like, go grab a book because the, there's no book for it. Or, like, vice versa, whereas, like, if it's in a book, then it's like, where else can I go besides, like, maybe the newspapers or other books? Like, I still think, like, artic- like articles come out, though, that kind of, that are behind-the-scenes article. Like, you'll just randomly see some article come out on the athletic and it it'll detail like behind the scenes of you know what was going on with the warriors and 
2018-19 or or the Celtics with everything that was going on with Kyrie you know like a few months after everything happened there'd be some report like detailing detailing something something juicy so I still think like the investigative journalism side of things still it's still real oh 100% it's just that if you're a journalist now, like you have to be, you have to be. I feel like you have to be more on point, just because people are, people do have that much more access to information, and uh-huh. like players also, ha- players are also able to speak for themselves without actually needing the media. Yeah, like they have Twitter accounts, Instagram accounts, they have Snapchats that people can follow. Like they're able to like there are um, outlets like the Players Tribune. Or, like, they're able to tell their own stories. Like, you have to be... Like, obviously, there will be rumors that still fly. But, um... And everything can't be fully accurate in that sense. But, like, I feel like there's that much more of, like... A reason to be accurate now. Yeah, you're gonna... You're gonna get called out if you get something wrong. Yeah. Which is good. I do, like... I understand the reasoning, but when you have, like, sources said, and it's, like, an inflammatory comment, it just kind of frustrates me a little bit, where it's, like, how legit is this source, you know? And, like, we're never going to find out, because if that source tells, like, tells them who they are, they're going to lose their job. And so, like, we as, like, consumers want these juicy stories, but at the same time, you know, like, there's, there's all, a lot of those sources are, I don't think would be the most legitimate if their names were leaked, leaked out. But that's just the way of doing media now, right? Oh, 100%. Like, if I heard, like, an equipment manager says something, or, like... No, actually, no, I won't say equipment manager, because they, they may get to hear everything. I want to say um, maybe a front office member that isn't as that you wouldn't suspect to be as close with the players. Like a marketing kinda, director or something. yeah. And it's kind of like, okay, like what's like what's the catch in you saying this? You know what I mean? Mm. And then like everybody starts going after that person. It's kind of like, we need answers, we need answers, and then teams have like all sorts of publicity they probably want no business of. And apparently the sources do that, especially like when it comes to draft time. Like they already have their player, but they'll slip to a reporter. Oh, like say that this guy's the guy that we're searching for. Yeah. Kind of like lead the other teams on a wild goose chase, essentially. That happened a lot in the NFL draft. <laughs> but us the whole time, we're like, oh, this could actually happen. This could actually do this. And then something else happens. But it's an interesting no. chess match, for sure. Yeah, definitely. There's a, one thing I, I was wanted to bring up that I felt really came out in this episode or these episodes, um, as you said at the in, in the intro, like, this was about Jordan. We were finally hearing about Jordan. And even though I knew all these stories, it was just crazy to hear and watch the uh, vindictiveness of Jordan. Mm-hmm. You know, like, comparison to Drexler. Oh, you know, like, I was so mad. I, it takes everything so personally. It's so so funny. And then like Ku coach, like who cares? Yeah. And but they just 
they took it so personally and went so hard. And then Dan Majorly, like, he's like, oh, they, they called him a good defender. Like, no one's saying he's better than you, but he's like, oh, and I just, he needed to rip his heart out. It's, it's the competitiveness is unreal. I was thinking about it and trying to make comparisons with other sports. There is none, you know. I think there is nobody like Michael Jordan because the guy, he just liked competing. And you can see, like, the video, he, they were throwing coins in the floor, and he was, like, super passionate about it, and he didn't want to lose. Like, all the stories, they really seem to be real, you know. The guy was really, he really had a competitive, maybe a problem. He was, like, problematic with that. And he said it, too. He's like, I don't have a gambling problem. I have a competition yeah. problem. And, you know, there's that one kind of sobering moment where he's in this hotel and he's like, you know, no one wants my life. And you're like, well, I mean, honestly, the way that the one guy summed it up of how, how he's bombarded the second he leaves his hotel room until he gets back. Yeah. And the only solace he has is in that little hotel room, like on the road or at, when he's at his own home. And, yeah, like that must be immensely draining. And people could say, oh, well, you know, there's a price to pay with being famous. But, you know, I don't think anyone wishes that upon anyone to constantly been, be harassed every moment that you're outside. Yeah. Like, I can't imagine for the athletes and now who, like, which part? It was on the all, it was on um, the Knuckleheads podcast. I can't remember who, um, I think it was with Nick Young, actually. He was talking to Quentin Richardson and Darius Miles and, like, asking them how, um, like, if they were actually, like, in the spots in L.A. and, like, actually be able to have fun. He's like, oh, yeah, 100%. Like, we used to, like, be able to do this, this, and nobody knew about it. And he was like, like, his reaction was, like, priceless because he was like, it's almost like you can't do anything now without people seeing you or, like, it being reported somewhere that you were at this place or this place or doing this. Yeah, and, like, you know, Clearly, I mean that that was probably that was the case for Quinton Richardson and Darius Miles. But back then, it was like only Jordan was only Jordan had like such a spotlight on him that it would it could be comparable comparable to athletes today. Um, oh yeah, and I just think like you know you were you were talking about the Twitter the Twitter age, Jordan. Already, he was he was pushed to the limit. I mean, it's going to be revealed next episode that he was pushed so much to the limit that he actually decided to step away. And yeah. you know, there's a bunch of rumors related to that, but but assuming that's that was what did it, um, Twitter would have been hard. And like, you know, older players are so quick to call new age players soft. You could argue there's a there's like a a mental toughness you have to have now that goes way beyond what they had to deal with. Oh, yeah, because they'll never know what it's like now. Like, for the most part, like, if they get any slander, it would be, like, for who they are now and some people forgetting who they were back in the day. But, like, as far as, like, actually being a pro athlete, like, I think that's why, like, a lot of, like, the mental health stuff and whatnot comes out as well as far as, like, being able to, like, actually keep yourself sane in a world where like people follow you everywhere and are capable of following you everywhere without like there being like any lines or rules as to like what's out of bounds or not you know what I mean and like because people could basically do what they want now everyone has the power to be able to record stuff everybody has the power to post things everybody has the power to say what they want online 
like even if you go on Twitter, like you can say some outlandish stuff and like nine times out of ten you probably get away with it unless you cross like some ridiculous like line that Twitter's just like, nah, you can't do this. Or like same thing for Instagram, right? Mm. And like that freedom that people have also puts like athletes in a tougher position in the sense of like well what is out of pocket for people now because like if I say this out of pocket they all call me soft and then the social media sites themselves don't really do anything about it but here I am having to deal with it you know yeah but commenting on that I think a lot of the what the old players call softness it's a lot to do with the game as well because you see just the, some images and it was way more violent but yeah I agree with you I think growing up in this age where whatever you do it's filmed and posted on Instagram, you got, you got to be tough mentally to have like millions of followers every day and seeing everything you do. I think as far as the play stuff goes though, like, I think it's kind of harder to be able to say like people are softer just because like those are like the rules in place. You know what I mean? Like guys in the 70s could probably like get away with like, would get away with a lot more. Like, if a guy today gets into a fight, you're easily getting, like, a week's worth of a suspension. Like, yeah, it's not least. their fault that you're soft. Because yeah. if you are hard, you're going to, yeah, get slapped with fines and suspensions. and lose You're money, costing right? your team now. Now there's a whole new level of, like, scrutiny. It's like, this guy's acting, this guy wants to be fake tough, and you end up getting suspended. He calls his team this and this. You can't really win in today's day and age. Yeah, no, very true. Yeah, that'll wrap up episode two of the All Hustle podcast. Be sure to check in next week where we'll review episodes seven and eight. And be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and wherever else you get your podcasts. (laughs) 